I think it's probably fair enough to say that most people, when they turn to or embark upon spiritual practices, feeling discontented and looking for contentment. So if that's the case, then we would be wise, I would suggest, to question how it is we go about seeking contentment. There are many different paths, different practices, different traditions, different teachers, different teachings. And and if we're not careful, we could be investing a lot of energy and hope in pursuit of contentment in a way that's not really delivering what we're looking for. I would like to consider this a little bit this evening, how we might investigate how it is we go about seeking contentment. Certainly in the Buddhist world, I've heard it said that what was called for is a determination to make your mind peaceful. In fact, I heard those those words quite literally at a a Buddhist centre I was invited to speak at some years ago and a large crowd of people there and before my talk there was the uh, opportunity to spend some time in meditation together and uh, started by literally saying this, now determined to make your mind peaceful and, and I remember the time thinking that's a curious approach it uh, didn't strike me as is very attractive, this idea of trying to force the mind to be peaceful. However, it is very normal. There is this idea that we can uh, learn a technique and apply ourselves to it, and if we apply ourselves to it uh, intensely enough, then the mind will become peaceful. And, and this is true. There's lots that can be done focusing, concentration exercises and, and fasting and, and all sorts of spiritual gymnastics that, that one can perform and looking for a special experience. And, and some of those special experiences may be really wow experiences. Really, wow, is that possible? They have a prof- very profound effect on us and some of the experiences that might precipitate out of making these dramatic efforts and then what sometimes happens if you follow that approach the, 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 the pleasure that you experience from touching into a deeper dimension of, of consciousness is so attractive so, so appealing that you're attached to it and then you just I've got to keep doing that again and again and again so people sometimes become attached to going on retreats that's the practice, as far as they're concerned, is going on a retreat, doing the real practice, of sitting still, eyes closed, preferably cross-legged on the floor, and investing energy in a technique to make the mind peaceful. And one of the difficulties with that approach, in my experience, in my observation, is that you can become addicted to the pleasure, the delight of touching into a different, deeper, uh, more attractive dimension of consciousness 
and not really noticing those aspects of our heart, of our mind, that are causing the discontentment. So the very reason that we, we start out on a spiritual path is because we're feeling discontented, most of us, I think. That's the saying, fair enough to assume. And then we find this technique that we can invest in that gives us a degree of, of contentment, though not noticing, not being alert to the conditions in our heart and mind that cause the discontentment. In other words, we bypass those aspects of our heart and mind. And this, this condition is uh, quite well known, thankfully now, or becoming well known in the spiritual world, this, this tendency to try and bypass aspects of our being that we don't feel equipped to deal with and, or don't want to know about. And often it comes in the, the realm of emotions and aspects of our earlier life and that we were either not ready to deal with at that stage of life or we simply didn't want to deal with or we were not equipped to deal with uh, and so we used our willfulness to lock the experience away in unawareness and it can have very far-reaching consequences particularly on our breathing when we lock away the energy of emotions it can it can really have a very strong effect on how we breathe and then if our breathing is not balanced and relaxed and easeful then that can have a, a very big effect on our health and, and not necessarily easy to see the connection or can just have straightforward effects on, on our physical being I remember talking with a woman many years ago who, who um, had experienced a, a, a loss in her life and, and she thought she was dealing with it properly and then some weeks or months later her back went out very badly, very badly. All she was doing was you know, lifting a reasonably light object and, and her back went out very severely and it was only when we got the help that she was able to look into the fact that she hadn't really lived through the experience of loss, hadn't met it and it was locked away in the system. And so it's quite normal when people start meditating, all of us have probably experienced this, that we find these unmet experiences, this, this unlived life that is stored away in unawareness. And, and if we're not careful, if our approach to practice is to focus on the goal of, of contentment, of, of peacefulness, of tranquility, and we're striving for that, maybe we're not aware that these aspects of discontentment need attention. So I guess this is what I'm trying to refer to here is the approach that focuses too forcefully on trying to make the mind peaceful as if that relative level of peacefulness is the goal, that relative level of contentment that's come as a result of willful effort, willful concentration is the goal. If that's if we focus on that too strongly, it can blind us, I would suggest, to some of the causes of discontentment, dis-ease, dissatisfaction. And again, as I was saying, you can become addicted to the pleasant feeling that comes from having a relative degree of inner ease and 
Then there is another approach which I think is more characterised as instead of willful striving to make the mind be a way that we prefer it to be or think it should be or want it to be, there's more, it's more of a trusting attitude, more of a less willful, less dramatic, more gradual. And this approach has a lot to do with faith, trust and faith, that what we're looking for will emerge naturally if we cease avoiding what is. So if we are more willing to meet ourselves where we're at, whether it's feeling good about ourselves, feeling pleased, feeling positive, or feeling disillusioned, disheartened, doubting, all of it equally needs to be met. Now, to be able to do this, of course, we need a certain degree of steadiness. We need a degree of of um, calm and clarity and, and confidence. So this approach, yes, we, of course, still need the benefit of meditation techniques and whichever particular technique we're using uh, and learning the skill of focusing attention and, and learning how if we try too hard, we give ourselves a headache. If we don't try hard enough, then the mind is all over the place and the mind never really settles. If we get a good enough balanced kind of application of attention, maybe we will have an experience of the mind dropping into a state of stillness that we've not known before. And out of that can come great inspiration. However, at that point, we can reflect that that peacefulness is there all the time. It's not the case that we had to make it be that way. We could assume that approach, that attitude. We could assume that attitude of I made my mind peaceful. Or we could expand our awareness and look to see if it's not just what is in that frequency, in that dimension of our consciousness. It's, it's like that, on that level. It's just like if you're swimming and, and you go diving and on the surface there can be all sorts of activity going on and, and then you go a little deeper and it's not so much activity. You go very deep and it's very still. It's just there. The stillness is always there. So with this more gradual trusting approach, I would suggest that if we use the meditation techniques sincerely, carefully, cautiously, consistently, until we do have a sense, have an appreciation of what's possible, have a tangible appreciation of what's possible, not lay claim to it, rather just say, all oh, right, it's like this. And then, and then instead of allowing ourselves to become attached to the pleasure and agreeability of that state, just open up and be willing, resolve to meet whatever arises. Include everything in meditation. So you can read in the scriptures and you read in the commentaries 
and all the books that are written about the hindrances uh, in meditation and, and you've got to overcome the hindrances. Yes, from one perspective, we do have to overcome the hindrances. However, the kind of effort we make in trying to overcome the hindrances uh, makes a big difference to the outcome. If we see the so-called hindrances as all problems, you know, like if we meet some, some sadness, talking about that example a minute ago, and, and that woman, her back went out, and you know, we come across sadness, if, if we just try and get past the sadness and see that's an obstruction to peacefulness, I've got to really make my mind peaceful, maybe we're not learning the lesson we need and, and that cause for dissatisfaction, discontentment remains unresolved, unmet. So with this second more gradual approach that's characterised by trusting, by having faith that there is contentment already there within consciousness, if we stop denying what is, stop denying the difficulties when they arise. Certainly, as I was saying, we do need some skill to not be drawn into the vortex of some of the old pain that we encounter. If we don't have enough mindfulness, if we don't have enough collectedness, if we don't have enough steadiness of attention, then some of the old unmet life in its surfaces it can be um, very challenging. So it's true we do need to develop the skill of steadiness of attention um, and open-heartedness and, and sensitivity so that we can remain present for whatever is arising. Maybe it's aversion. Maybe it's anxiety, fear. Yeah. feeling threatened, somebody behaving in a certain way and, and it triggers a sense of being deeply threatened. We can try and get over it and make the mind peaceful and remember that lovely state of mind we had when we succeeded in making our minds peaceful. Or we can trust that that peacefulness will be there if we can stop making a problem out of this experience of suffering, this experience of dukkha, this anxiety, this fear. It's a very different approach. So there are different approaches to the pursuit of contentment and there are different dangers that would be wise to consider in these different approaches. As I was saying in the, in the first approach, is if we really resolve to keep striving to achieve the goal of making our mind peaceful, there's a real danger that we can be ignoring the causes for unpeacefulness, for discontentment, ignoring those aspects of our past that we haven't been honest about, we haven't been either equipped with or ready to meet. And if we build up some energy, concentration energy and focus, and, and we don't have enough skill, then some of these obstructions can, in effect, kidnap 
or consume that energy and become even more powerful and more dramatic an obstruction than they were before. So our habits of heedlessness can in fact be empowered by the effort that we're trying to make in meditation. We, we develop some stillness and some, some energy and some vitality and then we come across an obstacle, um, something that we're, we don't understand and don't know how to meet and don't know how to let go of. If we're not ready to receive that and study that, then all that energy can be used by the obstruction and that is a very real danger. We can really people can become traumatized in meditation. They do. On meditation retreats, people become traumatized because they discover aspects of their unlived life and those get empowered by the effort that was being made to make the mind peaceful. Very regrettable. The second approach, as mentioning, the more gradual approach based on trusting that the contentment that we're looking for will emerge naturally if we stop avoiding what is in the moment and, and thereby resolving to keep meeting ourselves over and over again. Whenever something arises, we make the effort to cultivate a willingness to meet it, to be there for it, not to judge it, not to say I'm wrong because I've got fear, not to say I'm wrong because I've got anxiety, not to say I'm wrong because I've got ill will. Not to say I'm wrong because I've got sadness that's been there for a long time. Doubt, not to say I'm wrong because there's doubt. Say yes, there's doubt. This is doubt. A willingness to receive it. Now, the danger in this approach can be that sometimes you, you get looking into all this garbage in the basement and into the basement of unawareness and, and it can be really unattractive and, and depending on who we are there can be quite a, quite a, a backlog there and that, that can be quite disheartening at times and, it can be, and that can be a danger and however there are ways of mitigating that and it's important to prepare ourselves likewise. It's regrettable that sometimes people embark on the path of meditation and they, they think that the technique of focusing attention on the breath or repeating a mantra or something is the whole thing. That's, that's the whole practice. Really, we need other resources. Really, we need other means of sustaining and supporting ourselves, like, for instance, spiritual companions. Remember the Buddha talked about when he was asked about you know, the place of spiritual companionship and he said it's the whole thing you know, spiritual companionship is the whole thing Kalyanamitta are that important and so finding a spiritual community finding friends that we feel can listen to us happens a lot when you're struggling and you've got something you don't know how to handle and you start explain to somebody and then they try to sort you out and tell you what you should be doing with your problem. When really, maybe what we needed was just somebody who listened and met us because we don't know how to meet ourselves. 
Um, so having such friends, having such companions, people who are willing to share the journey with us, um, that's valuable, nourishing, to be able to have friends that we really deeply trust. And exercise, you know, not just sitting meditating all day long, but also, you know, also physical exercises, learning to have a habit, just as like we were taught, fortunately our parents taught us how to clean our teeth, and so when teeth don't go rotten and don't fall out and have to spend a fortune going to see the dentist and suffering the pain of, of rotten teeth because we were taught how to clean our teeth. And well, Likewise, hopefully, we're either taught or we teach ourselves how to keep physical exercise and, and to eat properly, same thing, to maintain good health. If we're not uh, ready for that, if we haven't prepared ourselves for that, it's easy just to particularly as you get older, just to get more lazy and just fall into ill health. So good physical exercise. Breathing exercises can be wonderfully supportive in the spiritual life. Devotional exercises, devotional practices. And for many, many years now, I, I practice whatever's going on in the monastery. I practice beginning the day and ending the day in front of my shrine. I bow to my shrine, have little verses that of, that I either in English or in, in Pali that I recite and regularly day after day after day, every morning, every evening, wherever I am, even if I'm visiting somebody else's house. And these acts of devotion that may not necessarily immediately strike our rational mind as being useful. It may even occur to us that it's some kind of harmful, superstitious ritual that's going to disempower us, make us weaker. If we think about it more carefully and realize the limitations of the rational mind, you know, how easily we're overcome by, by the wild passions of anger and fear and, and no amount of rationality deals with it. You know, why am I feeling angry right now? I shouldn't feel angry with this person. So just because they said that and they humiliated me, that's their problem. And yet we can still feel passionately indignant. Just rational faculties are, are puny compared to those fires. So we need other approaches. And Sometimes the practice of bowing in front of that which symbolizes perfection, perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, learning to do that over and over and over again, the whole body bowing in front of the Buddha image, that which symbolizes perfect wisdom and compassion, lowering ourselves and and chanting, expressing, giving voice to, really not just thinking, I think the Buddha's great, that's okay, but actually saying things that other fellow suffering human beings have been saying for hundreds, thousands of years, aligning ourselves with lineage. Lineage is likewise another potential source of, of nourishment and support. So there are dangers in whatever path of practice we take up. Um, however, my encouragement would be uh, to think carefully, consider carefully the approach that we take in our pursuit of contentment. 
just because a technique or a tradition or a school works for one person doesn't mean to say it's going to work for us. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.